Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. From the 17th century philosopher and poet Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz to U.S. poet laureate Ada Limón, the voices of women in Latin America sing in an anthology that spans time, language, tradition, and styles. Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women, is a vast collection of poems, plays, chants, prayers, speeches, songs, short stories, journal entries, novel excerpts, and essays. Some women whose works grace these pages died because of their activist writings. This expansive, essential collection was edited by feminist writer and documentary filmmaker Sandra Guzman. She joins us to talk about Daughters of Latin America, along with two of the book's contributors. Dr. Norma Elia Cantu is a writer, poet, and Murkison Professor of the Humanities at Trinity University. Dr. Natalia Trigo is a writer and assistant professor of Spanish at the University of Texas at Arlington. Guzman talks to us about how she was inspired to gather so many voices in one volume. Daughters of Latin America was inspired by a sister anthology that was edited by Margaret Busby. It's called New Daughters of Africa. And in that anthology, Margaret was able, it's about Almost 900 <gasps> pages long. Wow. <laughs> wow. And she was able to gather 210 writers, women of African descent from all over the world. And so I had 500 pages. <laughs> <laughs> and I really wanted to hit that 210 mark <laughs> with 500 pages. But um, I was able to gather 140 voices. And I am just in awe of everyone who said yes. And there are people who never got a chance to say yes because they're no longer alive. And and they have not been alive for centuries. So can you tell us why you didn't narrow yourself to a particular century? I feel that we have to honor the ancestors in everything we do. And we come from traditions. We come from gorgeous oral literary traditions, oral literature and this kind of literature is not usually celebrated in the canon. And yet it is exquisite and brilliant. And I felt it was really important to honor as far back as I could. And the first feminist manifesto that was published in the world is Sor Juana's mic dropping respuesta. <laughs> La respuesta. But I always knew that, you know, I come from a family of storytellers and none of them have been published, and yet they rival some of the best written poetry I have ever read. And I was thinking about my tías, I was thinking about my mother, I was thinking about my abuelos and abuelas, I was thinking about those stories that I grew up with, and how do I honor? And so that went into the first uh, ways in which I was entering this anthology. Well, you know, the Latino population, it's so varied. It's not just Mexican. It's not just Puerto Rican. It's not just South American. It's such a wide spread of people and 
poems and writings and texts to choose from. How did you narrow it down to just 500 pages? Because each contributor had a wealth of words to contribute. So how did you choose what to use of these contributors? I love that question. Uh, The choosing was the hardest. There's so much brilliance. (laughs) And I really believe that Latine uh, women writers are having a renaissance in Latin America, in the Caribbean, in the United States, and wherever we're writing from. So it was beautiful because when I would reach out to a writer, she would recommend another writer. She would say, like, for instance, Dan Mayanos Figueroa, who's Puerto Rican, and she writes about the transatlantic slave trade in Puerto Rico through the lens of women. And she has a beautiful book, a novel, out to a trilogy, and the second one is out, Daughters of the Stone. And she said, but do you know Daniel Georges, who's Haitian, a Haitian poet? But do you know Carolina de Robertis, a queer writer out of... San Francisco. So the writers kept recommending other writers, and it would just send me into this beautiful vortex of beauty and ferocity. We are the most diverse region of the world. When you think about Latin America linguistically and culturally, ethnically, racially, uh, for instance, the largest population of Japanese is in Brazil, seconded in Peru. And there's Chino Peruanos. And in fact, the youngest writer in the anthology, uh, her name is Junko Ogata Aguilar. And her grandfather was Japanese, was brought as a slave to Mexico the last century. And he ended up in a, in a mine in Mexico. And then he escaped the mine and he ended up in Black Veracruz. And so you have this very rich cultural history of, I think, the world. And as an Afro-Indigenous Caribbean woman, I wanted to make sure that I, that I included all of these rich histories through the texts of these women. Well, Natalia, how were you approached for your entry? Were you asked to contribute a particular piece or did you recommend the one that you wrote in particular? Well, I think Sandra had reached out to me at some point, and she was like, hey, I met someone that recommended you. I never told you the story? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear it. <laughs> so um, one of the women in the book, um, her name is Aura Estrada. Oh, and yeah. Aura Estrada was the wife of Francisco Goldman. And Aura Estrada died too young in an accident when she was just starting her career. And the last story she wrote before this tragic accident is in the book. Mm. And he recuperated it. And in fact, he he translated the piece. And she was a Mexicana. She was working on her PhD. And he writes about her beautifully. And what is the book called? Um, Say uh, Her Name. Say Her Name. <laughs> and so I reached out to him to talk about Aura and the possibility of Aura being in the book. And I said, and can you recommend? I, I would ask all the writers and the writer's writers. And he's a writer's writer. Yes. And then he said, you must you must read the work of Natalia Trigo. I'm like, who's Natalia Trigo? And so you won the Aura Estrada Award, right? Yes, I did. And so that's the story. That's the story. Okay, now I know. That's that's great. Um, Well, thanks to Frank for that. Um, So she reached out to me, and I was just finishing my PhD at the time, and I was also applying for jobs, and I had a lot going on. And she's like, hey, do you want to participate in the anthology? And I was like, 
okay, sure. And so I thought, I have some pieces that I could use for this, but I kind of want to try to write something just for it. And it's not a perfect piece, but I think it was just in the spirit of the moment, you know, like in, I want to write something for this, it's a project, I'm going to be with other women, and it's, you know, we can talk about it, we can discuss it, it's something I can always go back to. So... That's how I ended up writing well, this tell, story. Tell us a little bit about it because it is a little dark. Yeah. <laughs> dark and supernatural. Right. Um, so the story is about a caretaker. She's taking care of an elderly woman. We can see a lot of disparities in terms of socioeconomical status. So she's taking care of her and this old woman likes to read the tarot. So she's constantly, like, playing cards with her and kind of playing mind games with her. And at some point in the story, we see a sort of transformation. I mean, I leave it open. I didn't want to write about it, like, fully. I didn't want people to see, like, oh, there is a transmutation of bodies or, like, oh, this becomes this. I kind of want to leave it open for people to make up their own interpretation. But, yeah, there's a My interpretation of... was totally different from yeah, that, by well, the way, yeah. <laughs> what, what was your interpretation? My interpretation, I like... so, I mean, I guess I guess we're going to kind of give the, the end away a little bit. A little bit. But to me, it almost seemed like the older woman with that sort of different smile that she gave her that somehow she willed her to do what she did at the end. Yeah. That it wasn't necessarily a, a transmutation of spirits, that it was a, a willing of one to the other to commit that act. Yeah, yeah. This is something I love about yeah. this. And I remember having sort of a conflict when I was finishing writing the story because I was like, I want people to maybe understand what's going on. And then I was like, no, I think the fun of it is having people make up their own story as well because that's part of writing, right? We're always reading something and making a, an interpretation and it's part of the the writing process as well. So I love hearing what people have to say about the story because <laughs> I was like, I didn't think about that, but that's genius. And yes, I'll that's exactly. It. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Natalia, that's kind of dark. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Norma, how, how was your piece chosen? Because you also have a wealth of materials from which to choose. You have poems. You are a folklorist. You write novels. Did Sandra ask of it from you, or was it something you suggested yourself? Actually, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> I just know I wanted to be in the anthology, and like Natalia, I was immersed in all kinds of stuff, and I thought, I don't have time. I think I said no the first couple of times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, said, I can, just can't. I can give you something that's already published, <laughs> and you know, we really would like something new. And then I had been thinking about being a Tejana because I'm putting an anthology together on Tejanidad. Mm. So that kind of was in the air. And I thought this would be a chance to kind of go deeper because in the anthology, we wrote the introduction to the anthology, and it's a little bit more academic. This was more almost spiritual. It was like this love for the Tejana land, you know, and the Tejas with a J. And so I kept going back to that. And when I said yes, I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> and I think you said something about where you are from the border, Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Norma Elia Cantu is a legend. Of course. And so when I think about her, I do think about Tejas with a J. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think about all of the artistry, the Mexican artistry that happens in exile here for centuries. 
and the folklore and the artisan, and, and she has so much love for the cultura. And so I was hoping that she would come through, and she came through with a beautiful ode to Tejas. Sandra Guzman is an Afro-Indigenous storyteller, writer, documentary filmmaker, and editor of Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. We're also talking to two of the book's contributors, writer and poet Norma Elia Cantu, Murkison Professor of the Humanities at Trinity University, and writer Natalia Trigo, Assistant Professor of Spanish at the University of Texas at Arlington. When we come back, Guzman says the anthology shines light on voices that have been often silenced in literary darkness. I was very clear that I wanted to lift four communities of women in this anthology. And the first was the um, indigenous women of this region. Uh, There is such beauty, right, that exists. Our conversation continues next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Today, we're talking about Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. The texts in the collection span centuries, geography, and genres. The anthology begins with the words of indigenous Mexican healer Maria Sabina. She did not know how to read or write. The epigraph to the collection is taken from one of Sabina's chants. Today, we're talking to the collection's editor, Sandra Guzman, and two of the book's contributors, writer, poet, and folklorist, Norma Elia Cantu, and writer, Natalia Trigo. Guzman says there was no one else other than Maria Sabina who could open the collection. I like to take a deep breath when I think about Maria Sabina. She's known in the world as the mushroom priestess. And she's a Mazatec uh, woman from Huala, Oaxaca. And uh, she's like considered, I would say, like a Socrates, a philosopher in that region of the world. She's a healer and she's a poet. When I think about her, I think about all of that oral literature that exists in our cultures through space and time. And we get to have her voice because in the 1950s, 60s, a man went to Oaxaca in search of the Indians who take uh, magic mushrooms. And long story short, he published a piece. Basically, she was forced to do a velada for him, a ceremony. And so he took pictures of her and recorded her velada and then published it in Life magazine. And I have a chapter of her, an oral history project she did with Alvaro Estrada. And she says, and then all the blonde people came and everything changed and the medicine went away. Because it wasn't for medicine anymore. It was people wanted to come to see what it was like to get a high on mushrooms. Exactly. She said, the blonde people come to find God but we use it to heal. And her life, the whole Oaxaca, everything, their world changed. She is considered one of the most amazing poets of Latin America in the 20th century, but because she did not read or write in her own language or in Spanish, she was dismissed by the elite, you know, like by Octavio Paz, for instance. But she's in the tradition of Homer, right, who was also illiterate. And I felt uh, her chance would be a portal into the world 
that is part of our DNA. And the language, going back to that, you make an effort to publish these poems in the native languages in which they were written, many of them. Uh, you see the English translations, which came from the Spanish translations, came from the indigenous translations, and yet you know you have both versions there. Can you tell us about the decision to do that? Rosa Chavez is a Quiche Cachiquel poet out of Guatemala, and she said recently that this book is language justice. And I'll take that, you know, it is. <laughs> I was inspired, well, first of all, I'm an indigenous woman, and we were the people who discovered Columbus in 1492 when he arrived <laughs> in one of our islands. <laughs> and we lost the language, and there is a recovery right now happening in Boriquen to recover our Taino language. Well, I mean, you also point out the language wasn't necessarily lost. It was murdered. Well, Jasnaya Aguilar is a linguist. She's a mije. And she says, yeah, our languages don't die. They're murdered. Every 12 to 14 days, according to UNESCO, a language is murdered around the world. And what happens when a language is extinct is devastating to a people and I think to, I think, our world, the connections to the past and to the future and to each other and to the natural world vanish, or maybe not. But I, I was very clear that I wanted to lift four communities of women in this anthology. And the first was the um, indigenous women of this region. Uh, there is such beauty, right, that exists and so I reached out to people who translate, and I just got connected. And it was very important for me to have the writing systems so that we can experience tangibly and physically the writing systems, these ancient mother tongues. And not just the indigenous women. I also wanted to lift, in addition, the Afro-Latina uh, woman who's often marginalized, as we know, in these spaces. And I'm really happy and excited to share so many Afro-Latinas. And one of them, Virginia Brindis de Salas, is the first black woman to be published in South America. And so we have gems like Virginia in the book. And the third group of women I wanted to lift was the queer Latina. Because again, I don't have to explain why the queer Latina is marginalized, but she is. And so it was very important for me to, to have women who were lesbians and queer and uh, non-binary in the anthology. I have a trans woman in the anthology. And it makes me really proud to experience all of these different experiences through the texts. And the fourth group of women that I wanted to lift was and is the Puerto Rican woman because Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States. Some people call it a commonwealth or a territory. Some people think it's another country. And we are another country. We have specificity of culture. And when you dig deeper, then you have the indigenous cultura that is not even recognized by the colonial project. And so when anthologies are created in the United States, for instance, Puerto Rican writers Women writers, men writers are usually left out. And when anthologies are created in Latin America, well, you're, you're, you're part of the United States. So we're left out, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're in this liminal state. And so I thought I wanted to lift my Puerto Rican sisters. But the language is so beautiful. Their languages, you know, there's almost 24 languages. So some women write in French. 
We have Haitian writers. Also, the way I define Latin America is not in the imperialistic way of just Spanish language countries. There's the region. So it's expansive. It's borderless. Carmen Bullosa, a great Mexican poet, said a couple of weeks ago, she says, Sandra, what you have created is a borderless country, a new country. And I love that. I love that. Sandra Guzman is an Afro-Indigenous storyteller, writer, documentary filmmaker, and editor of Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. Dr. Norma Elia Cantu is a writer, poet, and Murkison Professor of the Humanities at Trinity University. She contributed the essay, Telling Tales of the Texas Borderlands. Writer Dr. Natalia Trigo is an assistant professor of Spanish at the University of Texas at Arlington. Her contribution to Daughters of Latin America is the short story, La Cuidadora, the Caregiver. Tune in next week to hear more of our conversation. We talk about the use of the term Latine in the book's title, why Guzman divided the anthology into 13 different sections, and the decision to preserve and publish the indigenous texts by many of the contributors. Thanks for joining us for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Maria Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Charanga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Fronteras.